Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. The seeds of conspiracy, I actually call it the seed, singular. There might be more, but this is there's one that kind of jumps out in this chapter. So without uh, any further ado, let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the son of Eli, Eliab, and On, or On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up, uh, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, "You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly?" of the Lord. So we're going to take a couple minutes here and just take a look at who the conspirators were. Uh, what we first one were introduced to is a gentleman by the name of Korah there in verse 1. We're told that he's the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. So he was of the tribe of Levi. Uh, and in particular, they, he was the, of the, the sons of Kohath because there were three sons. Levi had three sons, Merari, Kohath, and uh, I forgot the other guy's name. But anyways, so this, they were descended from the one son, Kohath. And uh, in, when we were in Exodus years, not years ago, but a while ago, um, in chapter 6, verse 18, we find out that the sons of Kohath were Amran, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And uh, so um, Amran, we know from the Bible, was the father of Aaron and Moses. And Aaron and his sons were the priests, the Levitical priests. Ishar was the father of Korah. So in other words, Korah and, and Moses and Aaron were cousins, first cousins. They were all, like I mentioned earlier, all uh, Levites of the family of the Kohathites. And not too many weeks ago, we looked in Numbers chapter 3 at what the duty was of the, of the Kohathites in particular, as far as the Levites. What was their duty uh, when it was time to tear down the tabernacle and, and pack up the camp and, and head out and then set it back up again? Well, in Numbers 3.31, their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstands, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. So they handled uh, all these, the furniture, the things that were inside of the uh, tabernacle. We also find out in verse 30 of Numbers 3, it says, And the leader of the father's house of the family of Kohathites was Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. So what's kind of interesting about that is back in Exodus 6.18, we learn that the sons of Kohath, that Amran was the oldest, was the eldest. And that's who Aaron and Moses descended from. Uh, so he was the eldest. Um, the next one in line would have been uh, Ishar, who was uh, Korah's father. And then Uziel was the youngest. And that happens to be Eliphaz's father. So, you know, you might say, well, what's the big deal? In that culture, your ranking in the family was very important. And uh, so, Elizaphan, who descended from the youngest of the sons of Kohath, was appointed the leader of the family of the Kohathites. And so, you know, it might have, for Korah, it might have been natural, okay, uh, Moses and Aaron, they're descended from, the, from the, the eldest, and so they've got this level of prominence or whatever within the Kohathites. Uh, but, but Uziel was the youngest, and yet one of his descendants is the leader of the Kohathites. Additionally, in Leviticus 10, verse 4, Leviticus 10 describes when... Um, Nadab and Abihu, when they rebelled, or not, they didn't rebel, they went into the uh, holy place with censers and they offered strange fire before the Lord. And remember, they were destroyed, right? They, they were consumed. They died right there in the presence of the Lord. And, and in verse 4 of Leviticus 10, it was Mishael and Elizaphan who carried out the bodies of Nadab and Abihu. Now, 
I don't think that they had volunteered, like, hey, we'd like to take care of the bodies. I think they were appointed it, right? And who would want to do that, you know, to, to, to carry out these charred corpses of their cousins, or second cousins, I guess, maybe in this case. Um, but from everything that it appears, Elisaphan had a more prominent role uh, within the Kohathites than Korah did. Let me ask you this. Does it bother you when you are passed up from something that you think you deserve? Maybe a promotion or maybe you want some more responsibility in your job and you feel like you're passed up for that, for that position. Or maybe it's in a ministry. You feel like you're being passed up in a ministry or some other uh, capacity. You know, I don't know about you. I'm human. I can identify with that. I've been passed up before. It's not a good feeling. Sometimes you're like, man, I, I feel like I deserve this. And, and, and I'm sure most, if not all of us, can identify with those feelings. The issue isn't do you have that feeling of not like, you know, you feel like, man, I felt like I was passed up. The issue is what do you do with that feeling? That's the issue. What do you do with those feelings? So that was Korah. What about the other co-conspirators that are mentioned here? We find out that Dathan and Abiram were the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth. Those were descendants from Reuben, Reuben, the eldest son of Jacob. And, of course, Reuben was, like I mentioned, the firstborn. Again, in that culture, being the firstborn, it carried a lot of uh, a lot of rights, privileges, but also a lot of responsibility. And Reuben abdicated that position of being the, of the firstborn because he slept with his father's concubine. That's recorded back in the book of Genesis. And as a result of that, when Jacob was on his dying bed, ready to pass on, he, in Genesis chapter 49, he prophetically blessed his sons, which would eventually be all the tribes of Israel. And Reuben being the first one in, in Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4, he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. And because of that event, that sin that Reuben committed in that time, his tribe would never have a prominent role within the nation of the children of Israel. An interesting thing. So that's Dathan and Abiram. And then we find out this other guy by the name of On, the son of Peleth. What's interesting about this guy was back in Genesis chapter 41, verse 45, we learn that Joseph's wife... Remember when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and he's, he's in Egypt and then, uh, you know, the Lord, it's amazing, you know, one day he's a slave. He goes to bed at night and a slave. Next day he wakes up. Before he goes to bed, the next day he's the prince or the second to the prime minister in Egypt. I mean, God can change things in a moment. Well, interesting, Joseph's wife was Asenath and she was the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. So it's kind of interesting. So On was most likely named after the Egyptian deity On, most likely. I mean, we don't know if that for a fact, but typically names meant quite a bit. Well, they do in the, our culture too. Um, so that's kind of an interesting, uh, just an interesting side thing. How does it fit into here? I'm not 100% sure, but we find out in verse 1, it says, Now Korah, the son of Issar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, so now there's more people, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. They took men. What did they do? Well, I don't know if you notice it, but Korah is mentioned pretty prominently in this chapter. Korah was obviously the ringleader of this conspiracy. He was the source of this thing. What was the seed of his rebellion? It was jealousy. That's what it was. Listen, jealousy is a very powerful, powerful sin. Proverbs 27 verse 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent. But who is able to stand before jealousy? And jealousy is so powerful. We see examples of it throughout the Bible. 
Jealousy was what caused Cain to kill Abel. The very first murder in the Bible was because of jealousy. Jealousy was because was how why Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They were jealous of Jacob's love for Joseph. Jealousy was what caused Saul to try to kill King David so many years after God had already said that, already uh, uh, pretty much anointed David to be king over Israel. Saul was jealous of him and tried to kill him. So jealousy is a very, very powerful, powerful emotion. And, you know, we got to deal with it. And so Korah with Dathan and Abiram and on, and, you know, this conspiracy it undoubtedly started in secret. I'm sure Moses and Aaron didn't know about it up until right here when we read about this in chapter 16. They took 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. Again, all this was done in secret. Now, here's another interesting tidbit. The Kohathites, you know, they were, when, whenever the children of Israel camped, Wherever they camped, the tabernacle was right smack dab in the middle of the children of Israel. And then the tribes would, would either be to the north, south, east, or west of the tabernacle. And uh, it's very interesting, but uh, the, the, the Levites were kind of dispersed around the tabernacle, north, south, east, and west. And the Kohathites were camped at the south end of the tabernacle. And guess who was right next to them? The tribe of Reuben. So if you can just picture in your mind, you know, Korah didn't have to go very far. He didn't have to go walk all the way over. They're maybe, their tents are maybe feet away from each other. Who knows? But they're right there. It's very easy for a conspiracy. You know, they start, you know, Korah starts mumbling and complaining, murmuring, I should say, and complaining and, 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 you know, right to the guys next to him. And that's kind of how those things start. They start in secret with murmuring and complaining. It's very calculating on the part of these guys to select men of renown. Why? Because it gives legitimacy to their conspiracy. I don't know if you've ever been around like a church split or some kind of coup that occurs in your job site or something like that. It's very interesting. Usually the, the ringleader, whoever it is, if you can ever figure out who the one person is, they usually try to draw people that, you know, to, to legitimize whatever their gripe is. And that's exactly what these guys did. It was very smart, very cunning on their part. Cora was probably jealous of Elizaphan. I'm guessing, the scripture doesn't tell us that, uh, leader of the Korathites, and of course he was also jealous of Aaron and Moses. Why? Because he probably felt like he was passed uh, by in leadership. And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. I've had that happen. I've, I've worked in the workplace for many, many years. I still work part-time, and I've had that experience before. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians 2 verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each, let each esteem others better than himself. Important thing. You know, I can just picture in my mind how Korah probably attracted the Reubenites to this conspiracy. You know, he's probably like, you know, your tribe should have been the guys in charge. You know, I don't know why God chose Moses and Aaron. They're from the tribe of Levi. You know, you guys were the firstborn. It should have been your tribe. I could think they're probably sowing those feelings in the Reubenites. And who knows, maybe those, those feelings were ready there and it just needed the, the voicing of it to cause it to uh, become a, a, an issue. Korah probably, in my estimation, probably just used them to legitimize, legitimize his argument, because I think scripture kind of reveals here, he basically wanted to be in the priesthood. That's what he wanted. He was really, really upset that he wasn't a priest. It's interesting, in the New Testament, Korah's rebellion is mentioned in a couple different places. In Jude, verse 11, it says, Woe to them, speaking about these people that Jude is describing, he says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And then he describes these people in verse 16. He says, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, 
and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain an advantage. I can just picture that that's what Korah's doing. You know, you descendants of Reuben, you should have been in, you know, just fomenting the seeds of that discontentment, of that jealousy, of rebellion. And so what is their argument against Moses and Aaron? It's there in verse 3. They say, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? We're all qualified to be leaders. All of us, man, God's presence is all around us. We've heard the voice of the Lord speaking too. You know, you're not more special than anybody else. But really, in reality, it's just a smokescreen for his jealousy. He says, why do you, and he's referring to Aaron and Moses, exalt yourselves above all of us? Can you imagine how Moses felt when he heard that? Moses, who's just been, he's done so much for the people. You know, he might have had an ounce of, you know, wanting to be their deliverer in the beginning when he was still in Egypt. But 40 years in the backside of a desert humbled the man. He's just there taking care of sheep for 40 years. And then when he finally does get called to be the leader of the children of Israel, he doesn't even want to do it. He says, man, I'm not even qualified. Don't pick me. So you can just imagine how Moses felt when he heard that. Of course, if you think about it, it's interesting because now it's directed towards Aaron. But remember, a few chapters before, Aaron and Miriam were saying the same thing to Moses. So Aaron, obviously, now he's on the receiving end of, of this. Verse 4, so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Let me ask you something. What are you known for? What are you known for? You know, it's interesting. If you look at the life of Abraham in the Bible, you know what he was known for? He built altars. If you read through the book of Genesis and you read about the life of Abraham, he's always, wherever he goes, man, he's building an altar. Wherever he is, whatever situation he is, he's worshiping the Lord. That's what he's doing. That's what building an altar is. Wherever he's at, he's worshiping the Lord. He's building an altar. That's what Abraham was known for. What Moses was known for, you know, you could probably recognize him in a crowd. He had a flat nose. <laughs> Moses fell on his face. We read it over and over and over again. What's he do? Whenever their situation arises, man, he falls on his face and seeks the Lord. That's what well, that was his response. He fell on his face before the Lord. Two good things to do, man. Worship the Lord wherever you're at and pray whenever you're in a situation like this. It's not till after Moses falls on his face then he speaks to the children of Korah. You know, for me, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, my wife knows this well. I speak before I think quite often. I'll say things, you know, uh, you know, I think maybe once or twice we've had an argument in our marriage, you know, almost 40 years, uh, once or twice maybe. You know, and, and, and you know, <laughs> okay, yesterday, she said, no, I'm just kidding. Actually, I think it was this morning. No, <laughs> My wife will say something to me and right away it's like whoosh. You know, what? And I'll have something to say in response. I'm not like Moses. I should be. I should fall on my face right in front of her. Poof. <laughs> yeah, that would make her feel guilty. I should do that next time. <laughs> Probably 10 years from now when we have another argument, I suppose. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, so Moses falls on his face, and then he speaks to, his, to the company uh, of Korah and all those that are rebelling. What a good thing to do. Verse 5. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. You know, notice that he doesn't even argue, he doesn't fight, doesn't say, Oh, yeah, well, you know, God told me. He's just like, You know what? Let's just go before the Lord. We'll see who the Lord picks. Paul actually quotes this in 2 Timothy, verses 15, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verses 15 and 19. He says, 15 through 19, I should say. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. He's speaking to Timothy, a young pastor. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. 
Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. He's actually named, calling out some guys. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Exactly what Korah was doing. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So rather than argue, rather than quarrel, rather than try to fight and defend his honor or his position, man, he's like, God knows, God knows. I mean, he knows that God's appointed him. The Lord knows who are his appointed leaders and he'll reveal it. What a neat attitude to have in a situation like that. Verse 6, so he says this, verse 6, do this. Take censers, Korah, in all your company, uh, and put fire in them, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi." These censers was basically kind of like a pot that you would burn incense in. And that's where the priests would go in and offer the prayers before the Lord. They would be in these censers. The smell of the, the, the incense was, uh, it was a picture of prayer. And only the priests could offer the incense before the Lord in the holy place. Um, and they couldn't approach any way that they wanted to, because we've seen that with Nadab and Abihu. You know, they took their censers, same, same, same objects, and the Bible says they offered strange fire before the Lord, and they were, they were consumed. Now, Moses is remembering that, I'm sure. You know, Korah and his company, they should have, when, when Moses said that, they should have said, whoa, wait a minute, we don't want to go, we don't want to do that. I mean, I would have done that, right? If you'd known that two other guys did the same thing and they fried right in the presence of the Lord, you know, crispy critters, totally. I'm like, man, I... I Okay, woof, that, that's, but you know what? That doesn't phase them. That doesn't phase them. Interesting. In 2 Timothy, verses 3 13, it says, But evil men and, and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, after a while, self righteous pride has a way of causing a person to be deceived to the point where they believe their own press clippings. You know, like, yeah, I'm really a good guy, or I'm really this, or I'm really that. And, and so Korah, they're blinded by their pride. Moses' response, hey, you guys take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then look at verse 8. Then Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. What is Aaron that you complain against him? Listen, Moses hadn't assigned the rest of the Levites their roles and positions. God had. And in fact, God had given the Levites, all, all of the Levites, a very special role within the children, within all the tribes of the children of Israel. They had the privilege and the honor of, 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 of handling the holy things of taking down the tabernacle. They were, they, they were completely supported by the offerings of the tabernacle. Man, they were, they were set aside in a special way. But that wasn't enough for Korah. More, uh, Moses, I should say, drills down to the core issue. Korah was not content with the role that God had given him. He wanted to be priest also. There's two issues that are coming into play here, and that's unthankfulness and discontentment. I want to read a psalm to you, Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. Uh, I just want you to reflect on this. Metaphorically, I believe it refers to the tribal boundaries of Israel. But this is what it says, verse 5 of Psalm 16. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. The lines fallen to me in pleasant places. That's talking about the boundary lines of the tribes of Israel. 
all the tribes were given boundaries within Israel. And the psalmist says, man, I'm content with those lines. I'm content with the boundaries that you've put in my life. Now take that back to your job situation or your ministry or whatever social situation you're in and you've been, you've been appointed into some role or something like that. Are you content with the boundaries that God's put in your life? Maybe it's some social status or whatever it is. God's got you in a certain place. Are you content with that? Or are you always looking at the uh, across the boundary? Man, that looks better. I want that. I deserve that. That's not what this is saying here. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. That's contentment with the boundaries that the Lord's placed in your life. And then he says, yes, I have a good inheritance. Being thankful for the inheritance. Listen, whatever injustice you're, you're facing right now, whatever situation you're in, like, this isn't fair, you know, man, I, I don't know what I did to deserve this. Do you recognize as a believer in Jesus Christ that this life and everything about this life, this world is fading away and that we have an eternity waiting in heaven for us? An eternity, the Bible says, that's incorruptible, undefiled, and doesn't fade away, and it's reserved for us. It's waiting for us. You get up to heaven, it's like, yeah, we've got your table right here. You know, It's reserved for us. Discontentment and unthankfulness can make life really hard. It can make your outlook on life, everything's bad. It, it, folk, it flavors everything. On the flip side of that, contentment and thankfulness flavors everything too. Proverbs 15, verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil. Oh, man, I've got a bad day, you know. My life is terrible, you know. I'm going to go eat some worms. Everybody hates me. Um, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. There was a guy I used to know, brother in the Lord. I love him. He's a, he's a good brother in the Lord. I, there's no, not, no sins in his life. Well, I mean, he's a sinner, obviously, but, you know, there's no issues with him. But, you know, every time I would talk to him, say, hey, man, how are you doing? You know what his response was? Uh, man, and he would tell me something that's bad happened that week. And, you know, man, I'm just, I'm just stressed out. I got everything that's going on in my life. Every time. And I've known this person for years. Every time, hey, how are you doing? Oh, man, you wouldn't believe how tough. And I'm like, man, you, you must have a rough life, you know. He was of a merry heart as a continual feast. That doesn't mean you fake it. You're like, oh, yeah, things are going well. You know, my family's, you know, everybody's sick and, you know, I lost my job and stuff. No, I mean, those, those are real things that happen. But is that, is every, is every day, you know, uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm getting across here contentment and thankfulness for whatever boundary the Lord has you in. Verse 12, And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. They don't even want to go before Moses. Dathan and Abiram, again, sons of Reuben. I don't think that they were jealous of, of Moses and Aaron's spiritual authority. In other words, being the priests. I don't think that was their issue. I think they were jealous of Moses' civic leadership, his political leadership as the leader of the nations of, of, of all the tribes of Israel. And so we read about Dathan. So, so we, we're, we're introduced to these different guys. Dathan and Abiram say, we won't go on. You notice he's not mentioned here. I think he was just kind of off and on when it came to the conspiracy, but that's just my, my theory anyways. I don't know. So what's their accusations? Fascinating what they say. You've not brought us up, or excuse me, you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey. You know what they're talking about? Egypt. Now, 
okay, the children of Israel eat manna in the wilderness, and that's all they're eating right now, except quail once, but that didn't turn out too good. Um, and so, you know, yeah, they don't have a variety of food. Like, man, we're blessed in this nation, aren't we, with a, the variety? You go to a grocery stores, and it's like, oh, you know. You go to, you see pictures in third world countries, and they got bread, rice, beans, you know, that's about it, you know. We've got so much to, to choose from. Well, they're talking about Egypt. You have not brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. Now take, I mean, granted, they had fish, they had leeks, they had onions and stuff. But listen, they were afflicted with burdens big time in Egypt. They were slaves. The Bible says that they built the cities of Pithom and Ramses, slave labor. Not only that, but their male babies were drowned in the Nile River, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was really good back then. That's had to have been very offensive to what God had delivered them from. God had left them, delivered them from bondage, and there's like, man, you've taken us out of the, the best place we could have been. Then they say, you keep acting like a prince over us. And I can imagine Moses' heart just breaking because it's totally the opposite of Moses' heart as we find out through scriptures. And then he says, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. A week or so ago, we were looking at Deuteronomy chapter 1 as part of our study. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, they get to the promised land. I mean, they're right at the border. And Moses says, hey, here's the promised land. Go in and possess the land like God told you. He's going to give it to you. Go in and do it. That's when they come up with the idea for the spies. Well, let's send in some spies first. Moses was the one that told them to go in to possess the land. It was their disobedience and their disbelief in God's promises that kept them from going in. It wasn't, it wasn't Moses at all. It was them. And then they say this, will you put out the eyes of these men? What, is that? what does that mean? Well, they're basically accusing Moses of expecting Israel to blindly follow him wherever they go. They are, when you, when you, when you boil it all down, they're basically accusing Moses of doing bad things with evil motives that they're out to destroy them. But you know, at this point, the facts don't matter. They really don't. It's just raw, self-righteous rebellion. And when you get into a situation like that, facts don't matter. You can be in an argument with somebody, just, they're just, they'll make all kinds of accusations it's like, because you can, their hearts are just so hard against you, again. It doesn't matter. Verse 15. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. Moses, the most humblest man on the face of the earth, was very angry. That reminds me of a famous quote from Popeye. That's all I can stands because I can't stands no more. <laughs> you know, I mean, have you ever gotten to that point? I like what F.B. Meyer says about this verse. He says, the best of men are but men at best. Only Jesus was without a flaw. That's what I love about the Bible. You know, you see the reality of, of people here. It's not sugar-coated. It's not like, yeah, Moses, you know, he took the, all the abuse and stuff and he just prayed and, you know, he was never phased by it. No, Moses was a man and he got angry. He got ticked. Now, was he right? Well, obviously they were wrong in what they were accusing him of, but he was a man. He was a human. Only Jesus is without flaw. So I, I, I like it. I just appreciate the fact that, you know, it reveals the humanity of Moses and other people in the Bible when we read things like that. Verse 16, And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as um, Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you uh, bring his censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took a censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. 
And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this, this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. We heard that before, didn't we? God says, just get out of the way. I'm going to wipe these guys out. You know, God sees right through their words, their, whatever their justification is, he sees their heart. Yeah, they're, they're voicing it that they're jealous and they're angry at, at Moses and Aaron, but in reality, they're rebelling against the Lord's leadership because the Lord's the one that appointed Moses and Aaron into those roles. And so they're rebelling against the Lord. You know, sometimes we can fool ourselves with our pride or self-righteousness or our justification for maybe the way we're, we're reacting to somebody. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know, but know for all these that God will bring you into judgment. Hey, do what you want. You can justify yourself, but you know what? You might be right in your own eyes, but God knows your heart. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Our hearts can deceive us so easily, and pride deceives us. Jealousy can overwhelm us and deceive us. Sin is deceptive. Verse 22. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with the, all the congregation? Man, true to his character, Moses falls on his face before the Lord in a time of crisis. And Aaron's right there with him. You know, that really speaks of the importance of prayer because it was their prayer that averted God's judgment. And this is a spirit-led prayer too as well. I, I really feel it because, you know, they're praying directly about the source, the sin of one man. God's revealed it. It's, it's Korah. Korah is the source of this. And is, is the entire congregation going to suffer for this one man's rebellion? Verse 23. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, um, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done, done, not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. We'll stop right there for a moment. What did the Lord say to them? Verse uh, 24 get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. I mentioned earlier that this is quoted in 2 Timothy chapter 2 by Paul. And I'll, I'll reread the verses, chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is what Paul is quoting in 2 Timothy. Listen, if someone is secretly whispering, whispering in your ear about someone else, you know, bribe or bribes, um, uh, gossiping, or murmuring and complaining to you, and they're kind of pulling you apart, you know, be careful. Be careful. The Bible tells us in Titus 3, verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Get away from that. Because that's what it is. It's, it's, it's ultimately, it'll end up in rebellion. Be very careful with what cause you align with. Boy, that's true now, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of causes out there. And, uh, you know, I just, man, be careful with the causes that you are for. Be very careful. 
So verse 28, Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. That's kind of a, that's a, that's a words of faith, basically. Hey, if, if nothing happens to them, then I'm wrong. God's not, you know, I'm just, God hasn't spoken through me. Verse 30, but if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens up and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men of Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Man, talk about, that would have been an intense scene. <laughs> Verse 36, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest to pick up the censers out of the blaze for they are holy and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammer plates as a covering for the altar because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, uh, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were uh, hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. So they took these bronze censers, they, they hammered them out and made a covering, a bronze covering over the altar. And it was to be a memorial to the children of Israel should they ever get back into that rebellious attitude again about Moses and Aaron. And it would be a memorial that no other descendant other than Aaron should be able to be the one that comes forward to offer incense to the Lord. Only Aaron, the high priest, and his descendants were appointed to offer gifts in sacrifices. You know, Korah's rebellion was that he wanted to stand in the place of Aaron before the Lord. And you might say, man, that's a severe judgment. I mean, it's a good thing to want to serve the Lord, right? I mean, he wanted a good thing. He wanted to be a priest. But listen, there was only one priest. There was only one priesthood, and that was Aaron and his descendants. And it resulted in a very, very severe judgment You know, so much of the Old Testament is a picture of heavenly things. Aaron and his role as a high priest is a picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 9 says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer up both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself. But he who is called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from, the, from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Why did I read that? Listen, there's only one Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what Korah was, what his rebellion was, is, hey, I want to be a priest too. It's Moses and Aaron. They're like everybody else. Anybody, we're all holy. We all can be priests. What do you think that 
when someone says the same thing, basically. Hey, there's many paths to heaven. Jesus is just one of them. There's a lot of good teachers out there. There's a lot of good prophets, and Jesus is just one of many. What do you think that does to God's heart? Like, no, there's only salvation found in Jesus Christ, none other. This is the same rebellion of Korah. That's why it was judged so severely. Verse 41, on the next day, man, I, you know, all this stuff happened. I, it, phew, this blows me away. The next day, verse 41, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Wow. <laughs> Can you believe that? There's two things that I think that reveals. First of all, it shows just how much that rebellion had infected the entire congregation of the children of Israel. You know, pulling the prominent leaders into their conspiracy, it worked. It worked because it influenced so many people. And it's the danger of conspiracies you know, it just speaks to the dangers of conspiracies in, you know, divisions, strife and divisions within a workplace, within a church, within any kind of associations of people. When there's a, a division, people, someone's sowing division, it's, it's bad. It's not good. It's not good. It's, so it shows that how, how, you know, how infectious this is. It's like a cancer just spreads but it also shows how easy it is to misdirect blame. Wow. Blaming Moses for a clear rebellion. And God obviously justified, you know, justified Moses and Aaron by them being destroyed. And yet they blame Moses for it. Verse 42. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, here we go again. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> Verse 45, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. I mean, God is just fed up with the children of Israel Verse uh, 46, or actually the end of verse 45, again, true to Moses' character, they fell on their faces. They're praying. Verse 46, so Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense in it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it. As Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly and, the, and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped man another rebellion just moments later and God says hey get out of the way I'm going to wipe them out and Moses and Aaron they fall on their faces before the Lord again think about Abraham he's always building altars to the Lord worshiping him wherever he went and Moses here he's always interceding before the Lord on behalf of the people he says, take a censer with incense. Again, that's prayer and intercession. And it's very interesting where he says in verse, I got to find it here real quick. Uh, oh, now I'm losing it here. I'll find it here in a moment. Verse 48. And he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. That's the role of an intercessor. That's the role that you and I are to take. We're to stand before, between the living and the dead. You know, that's what we're doing tonight, praying tonight. We're interceding for this nation, interceding for our government, for our leaders over us. That, that's what you and I have been called to do, to stand between the dead and the, li and the living, to pray that, that the plague of death would stop. 
you know, God's judging this nation. We've turned our backs on him. You know, we've murdered. How many children have been murdered in the name of abortion? And so for you and I, that's what, that's what we're called to do. We're called to fall on our faces on behalf of people and pray for them. So Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they're all wiped out. On was probably off somewhere. Who knows? I mean, he was probably wiped out too. 250 prominent leaders, they're wiped out. Plus... 14,700 people of the congregation, they also died. Well, who were they? They weren't the instigators. They weren't the source. They weren't the conspirators. You know who they were? They were those that just hung around and got influenced by the rebellion taking place around them. Listen, folks, we're living in an age of rebellion right now. And... It's a rebellion against God, and it's against his word. And I want to encourage you, don't allow yourself to be influenced by the rebellion of this age. Don't allow yourself, because look what happened. That's why the Bible says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is a bummer chapter, isn't it? <laughs> Fortunately, we're going to get into chapter 17. It's a, it's a short chapter. By the way, there is some... You know, you know uh, I forgot the guy that used to always say, now for the rest of the story. Um, Paul, Harvey. Paul Harvey, thank you. Uh, and now for the rest of the story. You know, what's fascinating to me is when you get to the book of Psalms, or actually, it's, I think it's in 1 Corinthians also, or 1 Chronicles, but in the book of Psalms, there's a bunch of Psalms written by these guys called the sons of Korah. So evidently, and they were musicians, and they wrote actually quite a few of the Psalms. Evidently, there was, maybe they were already had their own families or whatever, older sons of Korah that didn't take part in the rebellion. They, they were spared. And I, and I think it's just kind of cool because even in the severest of God's judgment, we still see his mercy. I just, it's just interesting. So hopefully by now you know what the seed of conspiracy is, right? It's jealousy. Jealousy. Don't let your heart, we all have that, we've all experienced it. Um, don't let it, you know, control you. You got to deal with it. If you're jealous of someone, you got to deal with it. Go before the Lord. So in chapter 16, God revealed who wasn't appointed by God to be the high priest. That's Korah, Dathan, Abiram, on, and then 250 leaders of the people. Here in chapter 17, God's going to reveal who is appointed by God to be the high priest of Israel. Verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod of each of the fathers, from each father's house, and all their leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods. Write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each of the father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting uh, before the testimony where I will meet with you. So God is choosing to reveal his choice by using a rod. That is significant. That is prophetic. Because in Isaiah 11 verse 1, we read, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 5. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. So what would be the sign? The rod of the man whom God chose was going to blossom. That would be a miracle in and of itself. A dry and for all intents and purposes a dry piece of wood, a dead piece of wood, a dead rod of wood would blossom. In Matthew 12... Verse 38 says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They wanted to see a sign. Are you really appointed? Did God really call you to be the Messiah? They're saying this to Jesus. Verse 39, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Speaking about his death, burial for three days and three nights, and his resurrection. 
In John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. Verse 6, number 17. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader, according to their father's house, 12 rods, and the rod of Aaron was among them. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. From a dead rod, a dead piece of wood, you know, carved piece of wood, came buds and blossoms, man, new life. Romans 6, verses 3 through 4, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism and into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. See, not only did Jesus, you know, the, 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 rod, of the, the, of the rod of Jesse die and rose again, there's new life, resurrection life. But he gives that to you and I when we enter into a relationship with him. We receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that rod, it not only it bud and blossom, I mean, it had every aspect of life in the one rod that was dead at one time. It had blossoms and flowers, and buds, excuse me, and it also had fruit. It had ripe almonds on them. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 to 22. And this is such an important thing when you're, when you're confronted with the death of a loved one or you're facing death as a believer in Christ. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by men came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all should be made alive. That's why we, I mean, we grieve when we lose a loved one, obviously. I mean, the, the, the pain, the, the, it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching, it's heartbreaking when we lose a loved one. But we also know as believers, and if they are a believer in Jesus Christ, and we're a believer in Jesus Christ, man, we're going we're gonna to be resurrected too. He's the first fruits. We come after him. Verse 9. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and he looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the, tes before the testimony be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus Moses did just as the Lord had commanded, them, commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we utterly die? And that's how the chapter ends. Isn't that interesting? They were like, all they saw was judgment. And you know, sometimes, you know, we're talking today about jealousy and how that can really, you know, if it's, if it's not dealt with, it... it it's bad, it's devastating in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us that we, we influence. And, you know, going through a chapter, that can be really convicting, especially if you are dealing with jealousy. It's like, whoa, boy, he's talking to me. It's like, man, I don't even want to be here. I don't want to hear this stuff. And we can get that, we can get that attitude from, from being in God's word. It, it, you know, it reveals our, short, our shortness, our, our inability to meet God's requirements of righteousness. But that's why we celebrate communion. That's why we're celebrating communion today. Remembering that, yeah, we, we don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve eternal life. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, paid the penalty for us, rose again from the dead, and gives us new life. That's what we're commemorating this morning when we commemorate communion. I have the worship team come on up. As we close our message today, we're going to celebrate communion remembering what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And the way we do communion here at Calvary Chapel, if 
I'm sure everyone here is pretty much familiar with it, but as the worship team starts leading in worship, I invite you to just come on up and you can take the, uh, the, the communion element with you and bring it back to your seat. And then once we're done, we'll all, we'll all partake together. But before we do that, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer and then let's worship the Lord in the closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, sometimes it's a hard word, it's a severe word, and Lord, as we, this is not a, a fun chapter to read about the, the destruction, the death, the judgment on Korah and, and those that followed him in this rebellion. But Lord, it does speak to a deeper truth, Lord God, that there is salvation only found in Jesus Christ, and anyone who tries to uh, usurp that role or, or to take place of that role, Lord, that, that's... That's exactly what this rebellion is, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you that we've been entered into a relationship with you, Lord, because there is salvation found in none other but the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we bless you this morning, Lord. We love you, Lord. And, Lord, I just pray if any one of us here, Lord, if we're dealing with discontentment, Lord, in the situation, the, the boundaries that you have us in currently in, in our situation, Lord, if we're, if we're dealing with discontentment, Lord, I pray that, Lord, we might, just like that psalm says, Lord, we would grow content, we would become content. Lord, we would be thankful for what you have blessed us with. Lord, thank you for the boundaries that you do place on us because, Lord, we don't know, we, we, we're, I, our vision is so limited. And, Lord, you see all, you know all, Lord, you know our futures. And so, Lord, we thank you that as a loving father, Lord, you have placed boundaries around us. Lord, may we be content and thankful for what you have given us and blessed us with, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.